This episode is brought to you by NordVPN. Listen up, nerds. No. Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. America, from border to border and coast to coast and all the ships at sea. What? Hello, friends. Do you have a computer? Of course you do, because it's not 1987. Hell, you're listening to this on some kind of computer right now. But do you have a VPN? Oh, (laughs) what's a VPN, you ask? Well, my friend, a VPN is a virtual private network and it offers two key benefits. Enhanced privacy and security online. But VPNs do a lot more than that. VPNs shield your IP address, change your browsing location, and make online life easier. It's all about safety and security, my friends. But, like everything else in life, it's also about watching TV. Don't let your paid subscriptions go to waste. I use NordVPN to access my home content while I'm traveling. Wink, wink. Plus, secure your connection on public Wi-Fi in airports, hotels, cafes, anywhere you go when you're traveling. There's over 6,300 servers in 111 countries, and you can find a nearby server for the best VPN speeds. NordVPN is easy to use. Connect with one click or enable auto-connect for zero-click protection. And it's got amazing speed. NordVPN is one of the fastest VPNs out there. And with just one NordVPN account, you can use it on six devices. It supports every major platform, Windows, Android, iOS, Mac OS, Linux, even Android TV. I think those are all real. Don't miss out on all the awesome benefits for using a VPN. Go to nordvpn.com ifanboy today for a risk-free 30-day money-back guarantee. The link's in the show notes. Once again, that's nordvpn.com ifanboy. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Um, you ever feel like you really need to get something off your chest? This is this this is a, like a real thing. Like, if you're mad, if you're upset, if uh, if there's something going on, like the I, there's there's often for me an idea. Maybe it's a wrong. Maybe it's a moment. It's it's an injustice. It's something that because you, you keep going on and on over and over in your mind about it, and like that can create anger and resentment or shame, whatever it is. And very often. I have found, I am not a therapist, I have found that when you let it out, when you give it voice, when you say it out loud, um, sometimes it makes you feel better because you've, you've expressed it. And sometimes it makes you realize like, oh, this is not a big deal that I've, it's been stuck in my head. So you give voice to those things um, and it can make you feel a lot better. And shock of all shocks, therapy is one of those things that can help you do that. It can help you be able to say those things in a place where you don't need to worry about the repercussions of it, work your way through it, uh, figure out coping skills, how to get around it, you know, find, find ways to deal with that stuff instead of letting it fester. Um, if you are thinking of starting therapy, uh, if anything I said sounds familiar, you're like, oh, maybe my life would be a little better if I could deal with that kind of thing. You should give BetterHelp a try. It's fully online. It is convenient, flexible. It is suited to your schedule. That's the idea. That's what they're going for. Um, you can fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. That's a big deal. You can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. That that personal connection, I believe, to be super important. Again, I'm not a professional. Uh, get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash iFanboy today. You get 10% off your first month. That is BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash iFanboy. You are listening to iFanboy's Toxplode with Bob Shrek. Today we're talking with Bob Shrek. He's a senior editor at IDW and the writer of the new Jurassic Park Redemption series, also from IDW. But you would know him from his years as an editor at DC Comics and Vertigo. He co-founded Oni Press. He worked at Dark Horse Comics as an editor. 
He's also known for being associated with such talents as Greg Rucka, Frank Miller, Kevin Smith, Ed Brubaker, and more. He's been behind so many really amazing projects, and it was a real pleasure to talk to him. So let's get right to it. I am here with Bob Shrek. How are you doing today, Bob? Doing great. Thank you. We are here to talk to you about uh, Jurassic Park Redemption. It's coming out uh, from IDW, and you are not editing it. You are actually writing it. Well, I started out as the editor, basically... Um, in many of the various places that I've worked, when you start a, a license, you kind of have to have a springboard. And Chris Ryle uh, said to me, hey, you know, come up with an idea uh, that we can throw at Universal and see if they like our take. So I did, and then I liked it enough that I kept saying, gee, you know, these characters kept talking to me, and uh, I kept hearing voices. And before I went insane, I raised my hand and said, hey, can I write this? And they said, sure. Um, I put together a pitch, which um, I made myself adhere to my own rules that I usually tell most, most writers that I work with, which is two pages maximum. If you, if you can't tell it in two, then you don't know what you're doing. And so I had five, and I brought it down to two, and uh, and they sent it off to Universal, and they they loved it. So away we go. Now, the, when I is this actually the first project that you've written? Yes, um, I've first first comic book project. Right. I, I've, yeah, I've written. I used to make uh, films. I started making small little Super Eight movies when I was a kid, and then we uh, we progressed into sixteen millimeter. And I've I've worked on all sorts of different projects, but uh, comic books. No, this is my first one. That's actually really fascinating because I've I've known you as a presence as an editor for such a long time, and I was like, wow, that's so. Is it is it a difficult uh, transition, or, or do you, do you find that uh, was it, is being an editor helpful, or is it is it making you think about everything too much? Um, uh, the answer is yes, all of the above. Uh, it's been great. Uh, the the part I love about you know story is the, is the discovery of the story. I, as I said in the films that I've written in the past, you you think you know where you're going, and then suddenly. Uh, the story kind of unfolds in front of you and you, you discover all sorts of interesting other avenues. And sometimes, you know, they literally take you completely off of the original path you were on. Um, so that part of it's been fun. And you're right, there are moments where I have to literally walk away from it and say, stop, you're you're overthinking it, let it flow. Mm. Kind of give it some a few hours rest or a, a couple of days rest. And uh, but overall, it's been it's been a lot of fun. So, what's the the basic pitch for the story? Um, it's thirteen years or so after the first movie, uh, the events of the first movie, and Lex and Tim, the the, the grandchildren of of uh, Hammond, are now young adults, both uh, obviously doing fairly well off because of the inheritance, but also um, pretty savvy kids on their own. Uh, Timmy has gone kind of uh, the way he was going. He's totally into um, um, the animal kingdom and kind of uh, trying to follow in his granddad's footsteps. And Lex is off uh, as a millionaire uh, running her own Lex Crops Corporation, basically an organic farming enterprise that is a global uh, uh, global business and uh, and using kind of has gotten uh, the system down to where she's using uh, high tech uh, and her kind of computer savvy 
to bring down costs on on uh, manpower. Um, so the two of them are off doing things, and we open up basically with Lex in front of the UN, and the world, as crazy as it always is, is now clamoring. It's been years later. Hey, we can we can control these things. Let's let's let people go to this park. We can come up with like a model rail system, or you know, there's a way that we can we can actually still enjoy and look at these incredible animals. And she's. Uh, in front of the UN saying, no, you have to keep up your sanctions. You have to keep these islands off limits to everyone. And uh, so it kind of starts there and, and then progresses along. So um, it, it takes place, uh, the, the first movie definitely happened. Are you cons- are the, Do the other movies figure into it or are you just basing it off the first one? Um, no, I have, I have uh, some threads from the, uh, the second movie mm-hmm. in particular. Uh, that uh, that kind of feed through uh, Wu, the uh, the, the uh, professor, the scientist who was is there at the very beginning when the, that that first Velociraptor egg is hatching. He's uh, he's back in the story. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. uh, were you? I mean, was, were you a fan of the movies, or is this a big thing? I've actually noticed. It's funny uh, on our website. Every once in a while, we'll reference the movie, and then we find out that like people, there are a lot of people who've become really big fans of the Jurassic Park movies over the years. Like, yeah, I mean, I think uh, I think uh, everyone uh, is genetically engineered to to absolutely be in awe of of those creatures because they they're not fantasy. They really did. You know, I mean, some people think they're fantasy, but they really did at one time rule the earth, and uh, and they had a long run. Uh, so it's just amazing to see those skeletons and to imagine them moving and and being alive. And that's why I think everybody is such a big fan of King Kong, and and that's why I'm a huge Ray Harryhausen and Willis O'Brien fan, and. You know, I'm just a big dinosaur nut, and when I saw Jurassic Park in the theater, I went with my brother, who, uh, my brother Dean, who I dedicated the first issue to, because he taught me everything I know, and he would always take me to movies, although I was much older at this point, but we kind of reunited just to go see this, and, you know, how can you not be blown away? I mean, uh, the technology was incredible, and Spielberg was smart, and he kept uh, Phil Tippett on board to help uh, the computer designers uh, make the creatures move the way they should and have weight and have have uh, you know some real um, live living tissue you know yeah. you can you know when you see these computer generated images you just you don't believe anything other than that they're real it's, you know, it's so. kind of surprising that actually it holds up both in terms of like the you know the movie's still fun to watch but actually the cg for being really early cg still looks pretty good it's stunning it's yeah. absolutely stunning they knew what they could get away with again tip it all the people that were on that really they understood well if we go any further we're going to look like jerks <laughs> <laughs> so have you have you become I, I assume you've become an expert uh in the movies and just watch them uh, um, one too many times. Yeah, I've watched them many, many, many times. But uh, you know, I I try with everything that I do as an editor. You know, you 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 need to you need to be on top of everything, but you also need to kind of be able to wash your brain clean so that you're looking at it again, like you know, like a, a baby with a ball. You know, you got to go oh, and kind of let the story try to try to let the story take you by surprise again. So. 
So I'm not one of those people that can tell you that, you know, in real two at 17 minutes <laughs> and da 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 this happens. I, I try not, you know, I try not to to get that anal about it. But, uh, but yeah, I'm pretty well-versed. I'm pretty sure you could ask me most anything. I go, oh, no, not really. That happened over here, you know. <laughs> um, are you planning on... I'm not asking you to tell me who, but are there going to be any other cameos from the, from the movies? Uh, yes, there are. Uh, now, again, all the characters, we don't have the likenesses. Right. So all the characters don't look like the characters from the movie. They're approximately the same age that they should, would be at this point. But, uh, but yeah, there's there's a couple of other uh, cameos. Now, is it is it a miniseries or is it an ongoing? It's an ongoing. It's kind of what what uh, the industry is doing in general these days. Uh, it'll be my first five issues, mm-hmm. and and after that, we have uh, I take over as the full-time editor cuz right now Tom Waltz is actually editing me while I while I write this and I take over as full-time editor for the next five issues and uh, hopefully if things go well we'll be announcing the the team for that uh next five at the San Diego Con coming up so it's sort of the uh the I guess the hellboy model yeah, mhm but we'll keep the numbering you know after mine it will be still number 6 okay Number one, you know. Cool. Um, well, I guess speaking of of the the Hellboy uh, numbering and, and that world, um, now it, you got your start at Dark Horse Comics. Um, I wish that oh. was where I got my start. That would make me a much younger man. Uh, <laughs> I know uh, it's very convoluted. I, in the in the actual uh, publishing side of comics, I started in 1985 at Kimiko, the comic company in Norristown, Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Um, we did the Elementals and Mage and Grendel, all that kind of stuff. Right. So, how, I mean, it's the question that everybody always asks, but is everybody has a different answer for it, but how did you get started working in comics? Huh. Uh, again, convolution. Um, I was lucky enough to be born on Long Island, uh, New York. I was young enough at the time to be, well, when I was, you know, this sounds like one of those funny stories, I walked through fire, you know, but there were no comic book shops, you know, just, they just didn't exist. So you had to go to a stationary store to pick up comics where you would usually get abused by the owner. You know, this is an library, buy it or get out. (laughs) And so uh, as the uh, direct sale industry uh, was about to begin, Phil Suling ran comic book uh, Saturday and Sunday marts in the city. And the only place to get a back issue would be to go in there. And then there was just, you know, these dealers' tables set up and you just went chumming for whatever you were looking for. So in 1969, I think I went to my first uh, Phil Suling con and eventually I worked, I went to creation conventions. I met a lot of people back then. I was uh, 14, and I befriended Bernie Wrightson and all the guys in the studio. I hung out with Isaac Asimov, Vaughn Baudet. I mean, the list goes on of all these Mike Kaluta, all these people that I got to know as a kid. I met Frazetta. I met King, uh, uh, Jack Kirby. And and then as years went on, I hired a keyboard player to play in a band of mine, and he wound up being Adam Malin, the guy running the shows, uh, creation cons that I was going to for three or four years prior, had no idea that he ran them. I thought his, I saw his parents at the front desk, so I thought they were running it. So anyway, um, my band eventually kind of slowed down. Adam hired me. 
uh, creation. I got to know even more industry people. And then eventually, after the creation gig ran, I got hired at uh, Marvel Comics. And I did Marvel for about a year. And then after, and during those shows, I, of course, met everybody from uh, Kimiko, all the founders of Kimiko. Mm-hmm. Um, became friends with them. Actually, Jerry Giovinco, one of the co-founders of Kimiko, was in a movie that I uh, co-directed with my buddy Larry called The Incredible Hulk Meets the Ever-Loving Blue-Eyed Thing, a live-action 10-minute uh, 16-millimeter color sound crazy movie. Mm-hmm. So all these people and all these connections, and uh, so I did five years of Kimiko, and then after Kimiko, uh, uh, Dark Horse um, gave a holler, and off I went to uh, Oregon. Um. It's interesting because when I think about it, uh, I mean that's probably probably around the time you started was when I started reading comics. But I was, you know, I was I was probably ten, eleven years old or something like that. And the industry's changed so much from then. I mean, do you feel like you're doing? Do you do you, do you feel like things are a lot different now, or or uh, is it basically the same kind of stuff going on? Um, it, it, you know, it's one of those expressions, the more the things change, the more they stay the same. Mm-hmm. There are some elements of, of the industry that are, that are exactly the way they were way back when. Um, it's a little harder to make as many connections, uh, because of the technology involved. We're not driven to convene as much as we used to. Um, uh, you know, I can I can Amazon.com whatever I want instead of having to go to Phil Suling's little convention in, in somewhere in Manhattan. So, um, but you know, the the love of the medium and the fervor and the the passion and you know the 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 incredible writing and the the the, the incredible art that continues to to happen that hasn't changed. It's just gotten better and more exciting and um you know so that that element of it is just fantastic you know the, i keep saying when people are complaining about oh it's not like it was in the old days like well actually right now i don't I, you know i don't know of a time where that many incredible books were coming out all at once it's just because of the varied delivery systems and the plethora of material it's harder to it's harder to to encounter the gems that are out there. It's just you have to work harder to find things, you know. Mm-hmm. And it, I don't know. It feels like now that uh, you know the the main audience is a lot smaller than it used to be. You know, it's, you know, booming in the '90s and, and and larger now. It just feels like a lot of the people who are in comics are here because there's not necessarily a lot of money are in it, so they're in it because they actually love it. You know, like people who are making comics could make money doing easier work elsewhere for you know for more if they wanted to but now comics are like they're doing because they love it and therefore i feel like there's there's just a lot more passion in in the stuff that's going on yeah i mean you know there's i say this to budding writers and artists it's like what 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 else are you going to do you're going to be a plumber no you know this is (laughs) what you love you have to follow it to you know all the way through its course you may not wind up being able to make a living at it, but at least you can say I went down that road and I did everything I could and I work hard and and now I'm I'm getting to a crossroads and I have to make a decision. You know, I mean, I 
you know, I had to do that with my band at a certain point after nine years of, you know, doing what I did, I came to that crossroads and I went and found, uh, you know, followed another path, another love that I, that I, that I had since I was a kid. Um, you know, I love film and, you know, I still follow film. Again, it's just, it's just as difficult to, to encounter all the incredible amount of, you know, independent films and, uh, you know, kind of mid-grade films because, you know, there's just so many hours in the day and there's so much product coming out, it's impossible to, to keep up with it. But that's a good problem to have. It certainly is. Um, now, now, you'd mentioned sort of, the, I guess, the, not the death of shows, but it is harder to connect with people directly. And I think one of the things that I always... Uh, think of when when I see projects that you're attached to is that you've you know you've got a lot of good relationships with a lot of really talented people and and you sort of brought them along to different things. Um, do you think that that was uh, one of your big strengths as as a as an editor is trying to is sort of recognizing these people and you know I I can think of it, names I associate with you would be should be like Greg Rucka and Frank Miller and Kevin Smith and and Ed Brubaker and Judd Winnick and all these people who you know became a really big deal. And I'm sure there's there's others too. Um, you know, is that just something that, that is that something that you, you're, you know, you have a sort of natural gift at, or is that something you really work at? Um, you know, I, I, Phil Lasorda, who was the other uh, founder of Kimiko, I would used to say about Phil, you know, you can just put put a book under his nose and he'll tell you, you know, he can smell it and go, this is gonna this is gonna be a hit or this guy's gonna be great, and uh, uh, I think it's something that I've developed over the years and. Again, my brother gave me so much of an education. He got me reading at a very young age and got me excited about reading to where I, you know, I was turning more and more pale as my parents started getting nervous. Go out, go out. Um, so I, I, I understood the elements of story and I understood, I think, what made a good story at a much younger age than most. And, and I was such a voracious uh, art freak that I, I started examining and understanding why certain artists were more popular than others. So I was lucky that, you know, I put those two together and I could see a young artist or a young writer that, you know, I, I could hear their, their voice maturing in that, you know what, in another five years or in another three years, this person's going to be there. And the, the same thing with art. I mean, Troy Nixie, when I first encountered him, um, he's and he's off making movies now. You don't see his art much, but he was, you know, he had no idea how to ink himself. And I was like, yeah, but you know, your pencils are amazing. Pick up a brush and do this and do that. And you know, with time and with nurturing, you know, you 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 can you can help people along. And I think that's uh, that's been my lucky card is that I've been able to be able to see that that you know young. Uh, creator and and figure out a way to nurture them and get them get them to move forward in their career. Um, so it's just a, a, again, you know, my brother and all the influences and and years later, you know, Diana Schutz and I working together and living. I mean, we were married for a while and lived together for years. You know, all of these people that I've gotten to work with, Frank Miller, Kevin, everybody. Um, you know, you pick up stuff from each one of them as you go along, and uh, and if you're smart, you're writing it down, and you're you're remembering, and you're keeping notes. So, uh, so yeah, it certainly has has worked well for me, and I'm I'm a very blessed man. Um, now 
now you went on to co-found uh, Oni Comics with uh, with Joe Nozmac. Correct. Um, I'm curious if it what was the sort of um, the mission statement with Oni originally, and do you and is, is that still going on? Do you still see that you see the company that that you started uh, in the same way? Um, you know, they've, the mission statement was, you know, I was at Dark Horse and I had kind of run my course there and I wanted to, to change the uh, the way things were done. And we did that for a while. Um, and it's a hard road, you know. Uh, as you said, a lot of people could be making uh, better money elsewhere. So I think that in essence that, that Joe and, and James Lucas Jones and, and, well, Jamie Rich when he was there, they've tried to keep the kind of the editorial focus of what we, Joe and I started at, at doing. Um, but again, you know, I mean, I think they're year 13 now or something. Yeah. I'm trying to, yeah. Um, but you know, over the course of year of the years, you know, you have to change your model. You have to ebb and flow with the way the world goes. And, um, it was just like, you know, after image exploded back in the nineties, everybody had to readjust, uh, how they approached the world because they, it was a game changer. Yeah. So I think that you know, as a on, a on a business level, on a business model, you know, Joe had to make some some adjustments to keep the fire going, and I applaud him because he's still going strong. And with Scott Pilgrim coming out, and you yeah. know, they were, I, I'm working now with Chris Mitten, who I, I I wouldn't have known if he existed if I didn't see him over at Oni on the on the book Wasteland, and he's you know he's a phenomenal talent. And uh, so, um, you know, yeah, I think that uh, I think that they're in general they're they're holding the course. But like I said, on a, on a business model, you definitely have to change, or you you know you either sink or you swim. What was it like? It must have been terrifying to start a, an independent comic company in 1997 when things were. I, if not on the, they weren't quite on the upswing yet, as far as I, I tend to think of it. There was, some, no, no. I mean, it must have been awful. They thought we were completely insane, and that's why I look back at now and go, "Yeah, well, all these years later, and it's still going." Um, you know, yeah, they everybody thought we were insane, uh, but we did get advice from other people saying, "Well, you know, better to get in now than when it's on a high." You know, it's it's easier to get your to make a splash when when the market is not, uh, you know, uh, doing as well as it was uh, several years prior. So um, we had a blast. We we had a lot of fun. And again, Kevin, you know, I tried to get Kevin at Dark Horse, but uh, I couldn't convince the powers that be that he'd be worthwhile. <laughs> and I, I even had a bit of a fight at, at D.C. when I brought him to uh, to Green Arrow. Uh, they they didn't really think I was. They thought I was crazy. <laughs> I was like, no, this guy's going to move units for you, and it's going to be good. And uh, well, the rest was history. It was the number one book for like sixteen months. And if I'm not wrong, it came in relatively on time. Yes, because Kevin Kevin let me. Uh, he he goes on record. I told him, Kevin, you have to write the first six issues. Or uh, I'm not going to run. I'm not going to set sail. You have to have them done and in my hands. Mm-hmm. And uh, he said okay, and he wrote them. And then we solicited uh, when I got the sixth issue. DC 
bankrolled that. We we you know we said okay fine and that's good and it worked. I you know Green Arrow. I don't think Green Arrow ever shipped late. No, I I, I mean as far as I'm concerned, you're the only person in the industry who's ever been able to do that with Kevin Smith. So uh, so far so good. <laughs> Knock on Nogahide, right? <laughs> um, getting back really quickly to uh, Oni. Um, if I'm not if I'm wrong about this, let me know. But uh, you were behind. Are you behind bringing Greg Rucka to doing comics? Uh, with um, you know, yeah, it was a kind of a me. What happened was, it's I'll try and make it. To, um, what happened was, Patty Jarris from DC Comics walked up to me and said, "Hey, um, I'm going to blank on his name now, Scott. Oh, it'll come back to me. Uh, oh, I can almost see his name uh, starts with an N, Scott. Anyway, yeah, a fellow DC employee." Uh, had alerted her to this guy, Greg Rucka. So she actually had tried to get uh, Greg uh, under the nose of, of Denny O'Neill, but it it didn't really work. So she said, "Look, nobody's listening to me. You you know, if you get a minute, you know, talk to this guy, Greg Rucka." So Joe and I, you know, I went up and talked to him. I think it was just me that day. I think, and we had a good convo, and it was all good. And he said, "I'll send you my book." And Joe and I read the book. And we, Joe and I had what we call our Mikey, you know, if Mikey likes it, it's okay. So we ran the book past Matt Wagner and Diane and said, are we crazy? Because we think this is great. And like, no, 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 it's great. So we, we called them up and uh, said, let's do something. And uh, the one pivot for me was, uh, I, I think it was, uh, I think it was Greg's first, no, it was Steve Lieber's first Portland con. And, uh, but I had known Steve for years since he was at the Kubert School, and I had actually worked with him on a Medal of Honor comic book, I think it was, for, uh, for Dark Horse. So everybody was talking about the art, and I said, no, I know exactly who we need to get to draw this. And I walked Rucka over to Steve Lieber and said, you, Steve, read this book and tell me if you want to draw it. And Rucka was like, this guy's a great artist, and boom, the rest was history, so... Well, thank you for that because he's easily one of my favorite writers today, and I think that's great. <laughs> and yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's done he's done really good for himself and some good stuff. Um, so I guess then uh, you transitioned over to DC, and uh, in the same same way, you had uh, you put Rucka and Brubaker on those Batman books, and really, you know, those are you know in, in my sort of reading career, I think that's been the best run of Batman that I've seen uh, maybe ever. Um, oh, great. And I'm just, I'm, was there, I have no question there. I'm probably going to cut that out. <laughs> right. But, uh, I mean, when you, when you got there, was it your uh, task to sort of revamp Batman? And, and did you think of Rucka immediately or Brubaker? Well, actually, Rucka got hired by Denny O'Neill before I got there. Okay. Um, it's just that Whiteout made such a big splash. And Patty was, actually later, Patty was going to, to reintroduce the material to um, to Will, uh, I'm sorry, to, uh, gosh, um, Denny O'Neill. And uh, she, as she was saying, hey, you should check this book out, he went, I have this one. He had, like, what, like the one before it or something like that. And she's like, oh, my God, oh, good. So you're really good. Yeah, he's really good. And then, boom, he got hired. Uh, but, yeah, Brubaker was already working at Vertigo, but I brought him down out of the, the Vertigo uh, area and said, well, I know he writes kind of vertigo-y kind of stuff, but, you know, <laughs> he's, he he can do other things, and it worked out really great. 
And I just like, because I know that uh, people, people who are listening, they know writers and they know artists and things, but a lot of times people don't pay attention to editors, but this is, I mean, that's, that's the second person between Brubaker and, and Rucka who are now both some of the top names in the industry. <laughs> and I, yeah. I imagine there are others, you know, and you know, Brubaker is, is one of the few guys running the creative at Marvel and, and, you know, we've seen what, what Rucka did. Yeah. How did, I mean, what did you see in, in guys like that where you thought, well, they'll be, they'll be really good for mainstream comics? I just saw good writers. I saw saw something that, you know, there's this kind of um, magic, this little spark that you go, they have a passion for it, and uh, they understand story, they understand story structure, and they understand how to build a character and characters and make you care and and you can do those two things you've got the you know you've got the world on a string because that that's the the two biggest elements you have to be able to make the reader uh comfortable with with the person who's taking them on the journey and and make that make that character breathe and make that character come the full life in in the room with you, and uh, I mean that was the problem I was having after I had created the pitch for Jurassic Park. It's like I could hear them. It's like shut up. You know? <laughs> they were all around me, uh, kind of just talking and 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 telling me what they would do. Um, so yeah, no, I again I've been very blessed and very lucky to be able to to see the, that potential and, and try to nurture it along. I mean, I, I worked with Brubaker at Dark Horse uh, on, on his low-life stories way back when. And, uh, and so I'd been a friend of his and a, a co-worker of his for years. And then off he went off to, to Vertigo without me. And then when I got to D.C., it's like, well, this guy's phenomenal. Let's, let's have him write Batman. And boom, it worked. Um, one of the other really big projects that uh, you're known for your time at DC was The Dark Knight Strikes Again, um, and I'm I'm wondering was, was it a big struggle to get that to come together, or or did did Frank want to do it right away, or, or where did where did it where was it born? Um, well, Frank again, Frank and I go way back. Yeah. I've known him for many many years. And uh, had been his editor on a few projects, Rusty and uh, the big guy, uh, uh, the big guy and Rusty the Boy Robot, and uh, a couple of Martha Washington stories, and a few Sin City graphic novels. So we, you know, and we did the crazy, wacky, um, the Lance Blastoff character, and a couple of other things. But um, basically, the first thing he said to me, he called me. Uh, soon after I started at DC, and he said, "Hey Shrek, you want to go on a suicide run?" And I knew exactly what he was talking about. It was like, "I'm in," and he meant right off the bat that no one will like this because it's going to be compared to what he did in 1986. And everybody wants to go home. Everybody wants the same. You know, gee, that ice cream was really good, and I want it to be the same ice cream again. And he's not interested in doing the same thing over and over again. Mm-hmm. You know, he's a, he's a, like most of the creatives I work with. They they make their statement and then they evolve and they go on and they don't want to tell the same story and they don't want to do it the same way. I mean, you look at Frank's career and you know, three hundred looks nothing like Sin City uh, artistically. It's a whole another approach. You know, um, he really 
changes and figures out where he wants to go and how he wants to tell his story. Um, so yeah, it, it was a no brainer for both of us. Like, and DC was happy to, to get on board and they, they really supported the book beyond belief. Bob Wayne did an amazing job, uh, um, getting behind it with the marketing department and, you know, everybody was really good. Paul Levitz was great and Jeanette Kahn, everybody. Carlin was the, uh, the editor in chief at the time and he was, you know, they were all just super supportive. Now, you know, bearing in mind that, that, you know, Frank said everyone's going to hate this and, and, you know, you must have had an idea when looking at it that knowing that the, the reaction would be strange. Um, what, I mean, what did you, what did you think about it at the time? Were you, were you, did you see where he was going with it? And, and, Totally. I mean, you know, uh, if you look at everybody who got it immediately, it was folks like James Kachalka and Tony Millionaire and, and you know, Mike Allred, everybody, everybody who is like, look, I, this is what he is doing. They got the, they got the celebration of, of the superhero, which is what it was. These were people with their costumes basically poured onto their bodies. You know, they got what Lynn Varley was doing. I mean, people were screaming that Lynn Varley was a horrible colorist. This is a woman that has won a Harvey or an Eisner every time she steps up to the plate. She wanted the garish. They they both went for this garish kind of over-the-top feel. Uh, that was the entire point of the story. And uh, and oh, this is terrible! This is terrible! It's like, well, it's not what you wanted, you know. And well, if that's if you want something different, hey, God bless you, go create it, you know. But this is this is what what they wanted to do, and it was a huge success, right. despite all the moaning. Uh, they everybody bought three copies. <laughs> so. I mean, I, I was one of those people at the, at the time, I was like, I don't, I don't know what I wanted, and I don't think this is it, but since then, I have, I've gone back and read it, I mean, like, however many years later, I was probably 22 when it came out, and I read it again a couple of years ago, and I, and I was like, wow, this is a lot better than I remember it, and I think that those expectations, I maybe I wasn't ready for it at the time, or, you know, you have those expectations, Um yeah, I mean, I've, believe me, Frank and I have been, we've all heard that many, many times, and that's why he knew at the time where it was going to go, and that he said in time people were going to come back to this, and I, I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say, you know, I mean, I forget who it was, but some reviewer uh, recently, I think it was on Comic Book Resources, said, uh, you know, let's look back at the decade, What what was what was the the real, you know, what spiked it, what was really great. And we came up with the DK2. Mm -hmm. and, um, and and admitted he didn't like it much when it first came out. Right. You know? um, so, and then I guess last year sometime, uh, it was, yeah, it was two th last year, uh, it was sort of announced all of a sudden that, that you were going to be leaving D.C. And I, it came as a really big surprise to me because as, as far as I was concerned, your name is behind all these projects that were very successful and all this stuff that happened. So I'm, I'm just curious if you could comment, like, what happened? Where Did, did you know that was coming? Um, uh, you know, you can feel it in the, <laughs> you can feel it in all ways, wherever you're working. Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously about two and a half, three years prior to that, I was shifted, uh, over from the DCU to Vertigo. Mm -hmm. 
So, uh, and so that was certainly a signal that my reign uh, in the uh, in the superhero world was over. Uh, and you know, basically, you know, the, the, um, things change. Like I said about the model for for Oni. Things change. People come in and have different approaches, different ways of, of handling things. Um, I was getting more frustrated on the, on the DCU floor, on the sixth floor. And Paul Levitz and I go back way more many years than we both care to remember. <laughs> and, uh, and he was you know, basically the angel on my shoulder all along. He was always, I mean, he came to the very first Oni party in San Diego in 97 and walked into the party at, uh, and said, uh, you know, I said, Paul, what are you doing? Thanks so much. I'm, I can't believe you showed up. He goes, oh, yeah, you know, I figured I'd come check it out. You know, besides, after a few years of doing this and banging your head against the wall, I'll probably hire you at D.C. And he did, <laughs> you know. So, um you know, it was just time to me to move for me to move on, uh, and the vertigo shift was fun once I got there and got settled in. And uh, I'm very proud of what I've left there. I mean, there's a lot of really good books, uh, Sweet Tooth and and um, the new uh, well, Day Tripper. Those were both my starts. Wow. And Madame Xanadu was uh, something that I put together with Karen. And um, and this new book by Matt Kent um, uh, will be out uh, in July, I believe. It's called Revolver. So there's there's quite a few nice moments that I left behind there. But uh, you know, the actual hey, it's uh, we're going to be letting you go was certainly not the most pleasant moment of my career. But it all worked out for the better uh, in the long run. Um, you know, I'm. Uh, I don't. I think what I discovered uh, was I really. It's kind of like a, a retailer who opens up a store and loves working retail, and they wake up seven years later with five stores, and they're not doing retail. They're doing uh, employee management. You know, they're doing personnel. Mm-hmm. It's the similar thing. I think in, on my arc there, I realized you know I don't want to be a vice president and be that far removed from the the actual creation of comics mm-hmm. and, uh, and, you know, learning that and figuring that out and then trying to find my way there, it, it just got more and more difficult. So, um, you know, my time with Colin had come at almost a full 10 years there. I had a great ride. And as I am want to say, uh, when DC gave me the boot, uh, Paul Levitz made sure they put a very, very big, fluffy pillow on their fur, and they, they treated me beyond fantastically. It was, uh, it was, uh, you know, like anything. It's, it's never a pleasure to find out that you're being laid off, but they, they really did uh, go out of their way to make sure that everything was covered and I was well taken care of, and so I have no, no axe to grind or any anger or malice. Everybody was, was uh, real on the up and up during the whole thing. So, But, uh, you know, it's just the way it works. And then, boom, you know, here I am at IAW, which is a funny tale in and of itself because I, 
uh, years ago when I was marketing director at Dark Horse, before I went into full-time editorial mode, uh, I hired a young man who had worked at Eclipse Comics with Dean Mullaney and Pat Ironwood, and I had gotten to make his acquaintance and found him to be extremely intelligent and very talented, and his name was Ted Adams. So Ted, who is the owner of IDW, the head poncho uh, at IDW, um, when he had heard, and he, we had kept in touch on and off down the years, <clears throat> when he had heard that I was uh, a free agent, he reached out to me, and bingo, bingo, here I am. <laughs> so how is it at IDW? It's funny because they're one of those companies that sort of sprouted up a, a while ago, but they very very steadily sort of built up something, and now they have the you know, Diamond Premier uh, status or whatever, however that works. You know, they're they're sort of one of the big companies and up and coming. And I think one of the other things that's really interesting is that IDW has been really good at making licensed properties work. Where, you know, five years ago, a licensed property just meant it was going to be crap, and now right. there's a string of of licensed properties that you don't automatically say, "Oh, that's terrible." You you go, "This could actually be good." Um, what's the secret to that over there? <laughs> Um, it's a, it's an, a, an interesting mix. I mean, that's it's something that comic book publishers have been doing for years and years. We did it at Kaneko with uh, Gumby and Johnny Quest and Robotech and all sorts of things. We almost got a Max Hedron comic out, and we got very close. Um, it's one of the one of the ones that got away. Um, yeah, it's finding again, it's finding the right property that's going to hit the right note with the fan base, with the, the, the buyers, <clears throat> and then trying to fill that with uh, a, a well-constructed story and, and nice art and, and kind of make sure it complements the concept that, you, that you're that you licensing. So that's, that's it's, uh, it's easy to say. It's <laughs> much harder to do. Um, so, and I think that, uh, Ted and Chris Ryle and, and the, the guys at IDW have had a really good track record of knowing, well, this is cool and this is how we can make it cooler. And, uh, you know, that's something that I've tried to do during my years is, you know, people like, oh, don't you think creator-owned books are better than licensed books? Like, no, they're, they're, they each have their own rewards and they each have their own challenges and, uh. You know, the, if you're an editor, you're an editor, and you know you sit there and go, "Okay, how do I build this barrel uh, as as best as I can? How do I make this work and sing as loud as it can under the circumstances that, that you have to work with?" Well, um, I think that's about all the time that we've got for tonight, and I just wanted to thank you so much for talking to me. It was a big pleasure. That is my pleasure over here. Thank you so much. All right. Well, uh, I look forward to uh, reading the book and uh, seeing the other projects you've got coming out because there's been a hell of a lot of winners in the past. So uh, thanks for talking to us. Thanks again. You take care. Thanks to Bob for taking the time to talk with us today. Make sure to check out Jurassic Park Redemption from IDW. It's out later this month in June. And make sure to pay attention to the project he's got coming out from IDW if his past projects are any indication. You can comment on this show at ifanboy.com and check out all the other stuff that's going on there. Thanks a lot, and we'll talk to you later.